Welcome back to the Digital Healthcare Podcast. Today, I am joined by Terry Hellman. Terry, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Terry, you're an entrepreneur. You do a lot of venture capital and mentoring. I want to go back. When did you first get the entrepreneurial bug? And did you ever work a corporate environment in the corporate environment? So, I actually probably got the entrepreneurial bug when I was about ten. You probably don't remember this, but the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy carnival was my big thing. And I thought, wow, this is so awesome. But from there, I went into um, nursing and became a registered nurse, worked at Children's in Cincinnati. But I just didn't feel I enjoyed it, but it wasn't answering that heart, that, you know, that passion. I wasn't feeling the passion. So that's how I then embarked on uh, becoming a serial entrepreneur and um, avoided the corporate. I worked uh, for many, many years uh, with Roche as a consultant, their national consultant, um, and did that with many uh, large Fortune 100 companies, but have never worked day in and day out as a corporate employee. No, avoided that. Did you always just know inherently, I mean, you mentioned muscular dystrophy. Was healthcare always something you had an interest in? Yes. I always wanted to help people. Yes. Healthcare was just the best route to get get there to helping people. Well, and back in my day, uh, most females, and I hate to sound stereotypical, but you you were a teacher, you were a nurse, um, to go and, and be a big head of a bank or anything like that, lead a C team, you know, IBM or technology, that just wasn't heard of. It was still very much a boys club. Did you face a lot of resistance going the path you did? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, by, by the grace of God, I had some amazing mentors. Um, I was given so many wonderful opportunities, but uh, yes, uh, in my day, we worked three times as hard to prove that um, we could figure out the deal versus uh, someone uh, of the male uh, of the same age, same education. Absolutely. We worked very hard. Yes. Do you do you feel that it's progressed to a much better place? I assume yes, but do you I guess, how would you assess that? Do you think we still have a long way to go in terms of equality between sexes? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I definitely think it's improved, but even the statistics for, I believe, 19 with the venture capital investments in uh, female-owned or um, controlled entities is significantly less than male uh, investments still. Well, good. Well, let's let's definitely use this opportunity. Well, first, you should be really proud of getting to the place where you are because you're obviously super successful. And um, behind the scenes, we had a, a hammering incident. So I've gotten the chance to get to know you for the last half hour. Um, and it, you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. So let's let's use this opportunity to really shine a light because I know I've talked with a, num- a, a few other women entrepreneurs um, and the thing that keeps coming up is just having a, an example to, to be a guiding light. So 
I, I think it's great to be able to tell your story and, and put it in your own words. So if there's any other females listening, they can follow a similar path or find their own path. Sure. Absolutely. So you do a lot of venture capital. Um, can you just give a high level of how venture capital works in healthcare? And if the, is there any nuances within healthcare that make it different from venture capital or elsewhere? I, I think that um, the best way to describe my uh, view of venture capital, say, versus private equity um, or even angel investors, right? So your angel investor generally comes in pre-revenue, um, early seed, uh, venture capital comes in, um, well, they can come at any point, but it's seed all the way up to a series A, B, C, D. Private equity um, is in my world. Now, this isn't across all because you've got independent sponsors and all these other solutions, but private equity generally comes in and takes a controlling interest position. Um, and one of the other big equation, one of the other pieces that have come to this equation in the last five years are family offices. And so as an entrepreneur, if you're looking at which way's best, um, you want to look at the timing. You want to look at how quickly you're growing because private equity overall has the shortest attention span. We'd like to call it, you know, they're going to get out in three to five years where a VC's uh, tolerance may be seven to 10 years and family offices have what we call the, the best patients in that they're looking at 10 to 12 years. And so when you, as an entrepreneur, look at what's best for me, um, it depends on what your revenue is. It depends on what your structure is. And it depends on what your exit strategy really is going to look like as to which one you can access. And how long have you been doing venture capital? Oh, goodness. Um, a long time. I, I don't know that I have. An okay, exact that's fair. Yeah, a long time. It's, is it, has it evolved and changed or is the structure, I, I assume the structure is largely the same, but the maybe the nuances of what you're focusing on are different? Well, you know, that's a great question. So venture capital back 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have sauces, right? Um, and so if you look at a company and it's getting started for it to start to reach some of the levels where a venture capitalist might be interested, it may take 10, 15 years to build that business. Or it's a roll up where they've brought in capital and they've made a bigger company out of a bunch of small companies. But then when technology started to really kick in and people started to see the scalability of sauces, um, venture capital definitely became, in my opinion, much more active um, and had to adjust dramatically to the different, uh, you know, we can call them OKRs or KPIs because it was a totally different way of investing as opposed to 15, 20 years ago. And, and the same thing with private equity, but really with BC, definitely a, a, had to have a learning curve and a shift in what metrics we were going to use to measure and value an entity. Did you did you pull the way you measure? Well, I guess I know I've read, um, what's the book name? Measure What Matters, mm -hmm. which is effectively how Google measures and, and quantifies their success. Mm -hmm. Was the change in Silicon Valley, have, has that model, does that model work within healthcare? 
like measuring the same way some of those tech firms do at a hyper fast scale? Well, you know, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that we've really seen a healthcare sauce um, necessarily take and go at that level, right? Um, I mean, you look at mm-hmm. EHRs, but that's not really in that category. And I'm trying to think. So we look at um, MMRs and AARs. Um, we look at the hockey stick. We look at the trajectory. You know, we look is it freemium? Is it paid? Is it market relevant to the amount? What's the TAM, SAM, and SOM? And then you have to look at the team. You have to look at the technology, the tech stack to determine, is this a long-term player? Is this going to be outdated in 24 months? Do they have the capacity to pivot if it needs to pivot? And so versus in the past, you looked at the business model and said, oh, well, this has been successful. It's going to continue to be successful. And you go from there, right? It's not much like that in technology. Yeah, I, I think another difference that I've assessed is Silicon Valley, they take such a product-centric approach, mm-hmm. which is completely spot on for if you're going into technology sector. Mm-hmm. And healthcare, like, I mean, you just rattled off five and there's probably a thousand more considerations you have to take in right. into account to be successful, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the reimbursement, absolutely. So how do you, I guess, well, first, how does how do these companies come into your purview and do you work with a, is it a company? Is it a, a, a collective, a set of venture capitalists that you work with together? So I have multiple um, scenarios. I, I'm part of FundRx um, and that is a, a VC group made up of healthcare professionals. Um, so it's very interesting when we listen to a pitch as a group the questions they're just incredible some things that i wouldn't even have thought of um and and then we value and make a decision if there's going to be an investment there's also the alumni group um that uh, does a tremendous amount of investments and i sit at times with them um sometimes i'll get called in by by other venture capital groups to evaluate or offer to allow me to invest inside with their fund. So it's not just black and white. It can be all across the board. How do they come into my purview? A lot of it's word of mouth. Um, A lot of it is uh, somebody inside the venture capital group will refer someone to say, you know, you need to go talk to this person, get some of these pieces figured out, um, and I'll get referred that way. I don't really know. They just kind of show up. They all just kind of show They just up. pop onto your desk. <laughs> yeah, they just, here they are. That makes, yeah. <laughs> that makes complete sense. So if you were giving advice to a, a company that's going to pitch for you, is there any principles or anything that stands out above and I mean, I'm sure similar to listing all the considerations we just talked through, you have, there's a lot to take into account, but is there anything that stands out as recommendations that you would provide? You know, that's a, that's a big question because it depends on, are they a startup? Um, Are they uh, a series A, you know, where are they in their um, progress? And, And because that causes you to evaluate different components so, you know, if it's a startup, we are, we're going to look at the unmet need. We're going to look at the team. 
that's a big, because you don't have any success. You don't have a trajectory to be able to say yes. So the unmet need has to be very clearly defined. We're going to look for a beachhead. We're going to look to say, are they focused and where they are focused? Do we agree that that's an unmet need? And do we agree that their um, value proposition will be picked up and taken forward? Um, we're going to, we're going to look at, um, maybe some competitors, if there are competitors, we're going to look at their intellectual property and ask, try to ascertain best that we can. Is there something that's patentable here? Is there something that's able to be put into some corner, some kind of portfolio? Um, and lastly, we're going to look at their TAM, SAM, and SOM and see, are they realistic in their... Um, I'm sorry for interrupting. When you say Tam, Sam, and San, can you just define those just to make sure the yeah. listeners know? Sorry. Tam is your total addressable market. Uh, Sam is your serviceable um, market. And wait, Sam is your serviceable addressable market. And Sam is your serviceable obtainable market. Okay. So those are the market assessment of how, of how the company is going to fit into the current business climate well, yeah essentially as an investor you're going to look and see do they have a good grasp how big is it do they have a good grasp and are they being realistic in what they can actually obtain in a certain period of time now i know there's a lot of vcs that don't like tam sam and sam anymore um i still do i do i like them well, let me ask you another loaded question. That last question was completely loaded and I knew it was going to be, it depends, but let me try one more. Um, so are there any specific characteristics that jump out of companies that you have funded or would consider funding? Um, the unmet need, the technology, and the team. Those are probably the top okay. three. Yeah. Have they really nailed an Do unmet need? I'm sorry. Do you find almost every company you're assessing or investing in has a technology component now? Oh, absolutely. You know, back okay. in the day when I did all my startups, we didn't have to have a million dollars just to build an infrastructure, right? You could use the fax machine and a yellow legal pad and off you went. But today, you know, and there's lots of opportunities to outsource with AWS and all the other cloud solutions, but you still have an investment to make um, minimal, if nothing more into your prototype and your minimally viable product, that is, you know, it's a nice piece of change unless you can write it yourself. And that's a big commitment for a lot of people. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the understatement of right. the podcast so far. Right. Um, so how do you take a step back from assessing individual companies how much do you incorporate the macro climate of healthcare and how would you access that in, in the current state today? So the new administration, in my personal opinion, has opened up the floodgates. But I think in many ways there were um, technologies being, being well, I know they were developed, et cetera, but were being hampered by some of the regulation and the lack of flexibility and reimbursement. And so with that opening uh, here in the last two to three years, um, there's been a flood of new products to the marketplace. I think that one of the concerns I have relative to that is 
the vast amount of APIs that are being created on a daily basis and the lack of um, solid cyber security technologies so that we can protect privacy and sensitive information. Um, so I'm excited about the, uh, you know, the economic platforms. I'm excited about the economies of scale that are going to be able to be obtained, but I am concerned as to the dark web and taking advantage of this massive innovation. Sure. And that's the, that, I mean, that's the reason we want to move somewhat slow so we can take all those considerations. Do you feel like the innovation is happening too quickly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that sound crazy to say? You know, yeah. So I, it was a painful process the last 10 years or whatever from 09. Um, but I understand that the platform had to be built with the HR specifically in healthcare and changing the physician workflows and all the reimbursement between ACOs and MIPS and, you know, the various components to 10 years later. Now we have telehealth and we have remote patient monitoring. And then somehow, some way, um, the accelerator became magnified over the last six months to where we've just catapulted into AI and 5G and edge and serverless. And I mean, we're now talking quantum computing when that was going to be something that was a decade away. So a little too fast, but I don't want to stifle innovation that happened too long before. Right. So I think we just yeah. have to be smart in our choices. Ultimately. Yep. Yep. Do you find how much, or I guess how important is it for all the, you talk about the influx of innovation and new companies and new technologies. How important is it to make sure you fit into the business, like have a, a workable, viable business model that fits into the current, current healthcare ecosystem, not, not what's going to happen five, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you see companies go about working themselves in working themselves into the current processes and the current setup of healthcare? Well, that's a great question. So um, I think if you're going to try to mess in the healthcare space, yes, you need to make sure that your business model fits reimbursement as it is today. Uh, you know, if your product's going to be launched in the next 12 months or, and um, fits it today, but is yet flexible enough to adapt to, to any changes. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of groups have come to me to look for funding or guidance and they, everybody wants to jump into the healthcare space because we've got the silver tsunami or the boomers that are coming and they bring a lot of expertise, whether it's broadband or w whatever that is, but clueless as it relates to the complexity and the regulations that come in our healthcare space. And, there's not a pickup in our consumer-driven healthcare system where consumers want to pay for this out of pocket if there's any chance that healthcare is going to pay for it. So in my opinion and in the advice that I share is you really need that, that expertise of healthcare as it is today where it's probably going to go tomorrow in order to be accepted and even trialed or piloted to fit into that ecosystem. Does, does, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, it's come up time and time again, the 
importance of diversity and having a well-rounded team. I mean, you mentioned team is one of the three things you look at. Right. Does it start, it has to start with the team and having expertise in multiple areas. You can't, I've seen a lot of startups come with a pure tech background, just grab everyone from Silicon Valley and recreate what you did in some other sector. And that, that largely doesn't work. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I look for, um, I look for um, not only vision and uh, the ability to strategize and, you know, all the way down to marketing channels, all those components. But then I look for a previous uh, success, but that doesn't necessarily have to be in a sauce. I need to see execution that, that someone can take an idea and take it all the way to an execution. I need to see that they have the capacity to scale. And again, doesn't have to be within a sauce. It could be a brick and mortar. But there are so many challenges that come in scaling that having had that experience lessens that stress level and that level of that that expensive learning curve. So I like to see that. Um, I am I am all about youth. I think that they've got some tremendous uh, insight and creativity. But I like to see it balanced by a seasoned board and minimally advisors, because I think there's something to be said about being grounded and realistic. And so I like to see that whole balance, right? And if you don't have that expertise on your team, on your immediate team, I want to see it in your advisors or your board so that I know somebody's watching the whole big picture. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that's that seems you just laid out the perfect setup for a startup, I think. Right, right. <laughs> So in terms of um, the industry, you mentioned a bunch of new technologies and I talked to you before the podcast about how my experience of going to a hospital or going to a doctor's office, it feels largely the same as it has, you know, five, six, basically it, I, to me, it hasn't changed much at all mm-hmm. um, besides EHRs and I can make an appointment online. So I guess... Looking at the here and now, what do you think is most likely to come and be noticeable by people that use the healthcare system? Well, you know, this is a great question. So I thought about what you mentioned earlier. And I think what I would say to people is there's, it may not seem when you walk in your doctor's office that anything has changed, but I can assure you behind the scenes, there's been the development and refinement of what we call population health, right? And there's been the expansion of electronic health records. And there's been um, a lot of data that has been collected that is now starting to be mined or, well, I don't know if it's being mined as much as starting to be aggregated and, and stratified to be able to be used. Leveraged. Leveraged. That's the right word I'm looking for. So, you know, there has been a lot of work done. I'm not saying all consumer healthcare driven, but behind the scenes. And now, as I mentioned, the explosion of all these new technologies, I mean, between blockchain and distributed ledger technology, cloud, 5G, edge, you know, AR, VR, sensors, you go, you can go all day long. Now, I think the consumer, instead of just their health plan and or the hospital system, will start to see some benefits of all the work that's been being accomplished over the last eight years. I believe that. 
I sure hope so. I yeah, that that's a great way to put it. That the it's almost like the back end had to change before the front end could change. Right. I hope that's the case because do you, and when you're seeing companies that or pitches that come to your desk, do they factor in the patient and the patient experience and the cost and everything that goes into that? Yes, there's been a tremendous amount of um, investments being sought in the oncology space. Again, the precision medicine kind of genomics kind of place. Um, I think because that had such high dollar specialty meds attached to it, um, but also because I think there's finally enough data that's been uh, accumulated, collaborated to begin to start to really put some biomarkers and parameters on treatment modalities. And in that, then investors are hopeful we will see higher recovery rates or better ROIs, right? Sure. And talking, I think it's important that we mentioned the cost to consumers. I would assume and hope that everything, all the new startups and innovation that's happening ultimately have an impact on cost. But I I guess I want to pause there. And is there some truth to that the system has to change at a high level, the way it operates before the cost can really be impacted? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm asking you the hard questions there. You know, you I don't think you knew what you're signing up for. These are great questions. So, you know, let me revert back to 30 years ago. CMS um, reimbursed hospitals and in, in home care, but hospitals uh, to not be profitable. And we've all stood around and said, you know, we've got to have some accountability. We've got to start to make each member of the healthcare team accountable. And that has finally uh, transformed, in my opinion, dramatically. It's not perfect yet. But one thing that we are um, seeing in this administration that I don't know that I've ever seen before is the willingness to get to transparency. And I have always said that consumers need to be empowered and responsible. And we started dancing with that a couple years ago, but even the specialty meds and the cost of hospital procedures and pushing that envelope to bring that truth out, um, I think is imperative to any kind of getting to truly driven consumer healthcare. So do I think that the new startups are going to save costs? Anytime you can take data from across a vast majority of individuals and leverage that data to start to drill into predictive analytics or best practices, I think you're going to start saving money. And the more that information can be provided to those that are paying the bills, I think the more they can drill down and and insist that those evidence-based practices are followed. Um, I think that the health plans have started to see some tremendous financial gains these last few quarters. And I think that it's time for them to stop (laughs) capturing so much of that, but they've worked hard to refine their processes. So now I think it's time premiums come down. Um, I think specialty meds need to be priced realistically. And I think we need to cut out the middlemen that drive those prices higher. So I think we have work to do, but I think we're getting to where we can use the technology to justify the decisions, the tough decisions that have to be made. I believe we're there. That's such a 
That's such a great answer. Yeah. And it, it's, I think one of the reasons I was so excited to you is because you have such a wide purview. And I know that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people in healthcare is that work in healthcare is that you only see your small part. Right. And so I think it's really important for all of us, whatever level we work at, wherever we're touch point is to think at the high level and start to see how these pieces come together. Cause that, that's essentially what you laid out. All the all the different initiatives that are happening right. eventually start to converge and we start to see some real change, which is right. what all of us want, both on the consumer side and anyone that's in a business. Right. Right. Yes. So, all right. Thank you for, it's always fun for me when I can chat with someone that's mine, that mine works as fast as mine does. So <laughs> I just peppered you with 25 hard questions. Um, slowing down a bit. I want to, touch on you a little bit more about how did you, so you, you were a nurse and then decided to jump into the entrepreneurial realm. What skills did you build early on that helped you the most? Is there anything that stands out? You know, um, I wish I could take credit for something like that. I I found myself getting, these visions, right? I, and people laugh, but in the shower, it never failed. And I would be working in, you know, some component of the industry. Um, and I would literally hear this voice say to me, you need to go do this. And, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that makes perfect sense. Right. But I was always 10 years ahead of my time. Truth be told, I, I, I was way out there. And I went and did it and they were successful. You know, I mean, I've had my failures, my successes, um, but I was always going so fast that um, I think I finally learned I needed to slow down just a little bit because my mind worked so fast or I saw things before everyone else. I think it became a timing and really stepping back and saying, is this the right time or is something better coming? Are we better served to hold on two or three years? Um, and so patience um, was a big one. Um, the persistence or, I mean, you're going to do 100 hours a week. Yeah. And if it's your passion, it never seemed like work. I couldn't learn enough. I couldn't read enough. I couldn't observe enough. I couldn't study enough. Um, I couldn't ask enough questions. Um, And so in that, it was that constant state of learning that propelled me into the next level or the next level or the next level. I wouldn't want to be uh, my age today and not have stayed up to speed on all these different aspects, social determinants of health or any of these other components, because it's too hard to try to catch up at this point. Um, this is a whole yeah. new world. Yeah. That's not a surprising answer. Right, right. Yeah, that's and not so, a surprising answer because in my research, oh, go ahead. No, no. I mean, just consistent learning was probably the best skill I ever learned. And to listen and, and to listen, not to hear what I wanted to hear for the response, but to truly hear what my consumer or the marketplace was saying. Because in many ways, they'll help you pivot for success versus failure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, it's not a surprising answer at all. Cause in my research, when I was poking around to get a feel for what you'd done in your career, 
Um, I'll pull this from your LinkedIn profile, but I'll remove the number of years because you said that was outdated. But you said committed the past number of years of my career to pushing myself to gain knowledge and experience. And that I wanted to highlight that explicit phrase because the word committed, I think that's such an important point to highlight because I know a lot of people or me personally, I've gotten to these points where I think it's just going to naturally happen through my job. Mm. I'm going to learn. But I think it takes a real commitment to say to either have a goal of what you want to learn or just to try to stay connected with what's happening. And it, it just doesn't happen by itself, right? Yeah. So back in 09, I happened upon Intel. Um, and at that point, they had just done a joint venture with GE uh, for the remote patient monitoring. And I quickly realized um, Dr. Blatt was their medical director, an amazing man. But I realized right then and there that I either had to start learning a whole lot about technology or it was going to be over. And then we also had the previous administration starting to make some changes in what I consider the beginnings of healthcare transformation. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I had the opportunity numerous times to get into informatics and I didn't do it. And I thought I, I need to make this commitment to be ready for the next level or be left behind. I mean, in my opinion, that was the choice. So I took some time to um, give back to the community. And I uh, spent a couple years with Mother Teresa sisters and working with the homeless, um, which taught me more about social determinants of health than I ever thought possible. But it also taught me a lot about myself and it taught me a lot about what it's like to need to access healthcare and not have the financial resources to do that, which is very important. And how much more uh, that technology and the reach out of those various uh, new innovations could make a difference in, in access of healthcare. So anyway, but I, I guess at the end of the day, I made the commitment that I wanted to be able to go to the next level. And I make that commitment every day. I just, I focus every day on learning more. Every day. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I had a similar experience. I volunteered at hospice. Mm. And yeah. I, it was such an enlightening experience for me because it's one thing to read about patients having symptoms or right. patients experiencing difficulties tra getting transportation to the hospital. Right. Um, but seeing it's completely different experience and it's so enlightening and it gave me so much motivation to do my job a whole lot better. And right. it, it opened my eyes to say, I, we need, we need to, I need action learning and development now because people need this now. There's always people out there in the healthcare system that need it. Right. And I think that's one of the things as a, you know, angel VC, whatever that is different than it used to be. And is that, when you look at an idea today of someone who's worked very hard to get, you know, even just a prototype ready, you have to um, step back. And like I mentioned, you got to look at their technology and is it poised for scalability and is it poised for the future? Or are we looking at a teardown and a rebuild? And that's the difference. What is a problem today isn't going to be the same problem 18 months from now or 24 months from now. And so when someone goes and tries to identify the need for today, they got to take it one step further, which we didn't have to do back in the old days. We didn't have to take it to that next level 
and figure out what it was going to look like because it would have just evolved where with technology today, it's not necessarily going to evolve. It could completely be eradicated, right? It could be gone. And so trying to figure out where is it today versus where it's going to be. When I first started back with Intel and those guys 10 years ago, I felt like I lived in two different worlds. I had one foot in the you know technology, this is the future, and I could see it as clear as can be. And then I'd have my other foot over here with my managed care, Medicare Advantage friends who are in leadership roles and I consider very much visionaries. And I'm telling them what's coming and they're looking at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. And it was the horrible place of, but this is really, and they're going, yeah, maybe someday. And I'm going, but really, but today that's not the way it is. Now people are much more open to innovation and yes, this possibility exists. And, and so that's the great part, but you got to look beyond that need right this minute. And what's it going to look like in 18 months that becomes imperative. When, when you talk about time and do you, it's I'm getting to know you a little bit and it seems like you don't pause often, but the couple times you give yourself a chance to pause and look back and reflect the companies you funded, the experiences you've had, do you, do you look back and wonder and just in awe at the, the change that's happened and the impact you've had? Oh, wow. Um, I've had a great life. <laughs> I've had some um, wonderful experiences, wonderful opportunities and um, I'm very grateful for all of those. I um, I am envious uh, of people that are younger than I am now with all the technology and the capacity to uh, roll out a global product, right? Um, boy, that would have been fun 20, 30 years ago. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't still happen, but it is an exciting time, in my opinion, to be involved in the business world as well as healthcare and to, and to be able to bring a positive impact to masses. We didn't have that, you know, just recently has that been something that's even a viable option. So I think it's a very exciting time. Very exciting. Even, even when I ask you a question about looking backwards, you look forwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's your style. Yeah, that's, I respect it. Yeah. The rear view mirror is much smaller than the windshield, right? Yep. So in addition to developing and learning about healthcare, did you also take the same approach in terms of leadership and personal development? Yes. Um, I don't know that I took as many courses or structured learning for leadership, but I spent a lot of time studying my mentors um, and trying to develop my um, empathy um, listening, empathy, and allowing myself to put myself in that other person's shoes, especially in tough decisions. Sometimes you have to be hard and no is a tough word for anybody to say. And I had to learn how to say no much more than I learned to say yes. And that was hard to do. Um, I don't like to disappoint people, but in this world, I'd rather tell you no so you can move on and find the right place than tell you, well, maybe, and drag it out, right? So I did a lot more observing of people and those that I admired, admired um, in my leadership. I took my mentors. Is, is there any one or a couple things that stand out in terms of leadership that 
have made the difference or have been hugely impactful, whether that be communication or, I don't know, interpersonal skills, influence, anything that jumps out? Um, I learned a lot of hard lessons, but my, my, my leadership style is servant leadership. And um, I will stick with that forever. I think it's, it's the only way to truly have success. I like to surround myself with people that are oh so much smarter than I am. And I like to listen to their insight and their input so that I have as much information as possible before I make a final decision. And I'm the first to admit I'm not perfect. Uh, I, I'm not going to always make the perfect decision, but I'm going to try to make the decision that's best for all parties involved every time. Might not be the easiest, but it'll be the one I think is best. That makes perfect sense. Is there, is there, last leadership question, is there any resource or any course or any sort of thing that you've used that has helped boost your leadership, whether that be a book or a video or anything along those lines? So I take little mini courses. <laughs> I try to constantly, um, you know, whether it's Stanford or Wharton, whatever it is, just not necessarily master's or doctorate degree courses as much as just constant um, different approaches on how to communicate, whatever that is. Something that just says, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me let me try that. I, I try to do a pretty strict uh, overview of my strengths and weaknesses on a quarterly basis. And I'm always open to how can I improve myself to make myself a better person for whatever role I'm trying to fit. So there's not one. Um, I don't have one specific um, I love Warren Buffett. Um, you know, I, I think the world of Bill Gates, but um, I think that it's just a combination of, I think I can learn from that class. Let me take that class or let me listen to this podcast, whatever it is that will make me stronger. Yeah. 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 I found I've taken, I've tried every single leadership course and <laughs> I've, I've found none of them truly teach leadership, but they kind of get you to a place to be thinking about it, mm -hmm. which seems to be the entry point to making progress. Yes. Just thinking about it and assessing yourself and figuring out what you need to do differently. Right. Right. Wow. Well, this has been so great. I mean, you've, I mean, we've talked for 42 minutes and you've covered just well, thank a ridiculous you. amount of topics. Is there anything that stands out that we missed or any kind of closing thoughts that you have? You know, I think that it's to tell everyone to follow their dreams. Um, I know that sounds, um, I don't know, optimistic or I don't know. Um, but I would just say that if, if you have the dream, then it's a possibility. And don't become overwhelmed by, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to raise money or I don't know how to do this or do that. Because there's always people that will come along your path that will help you. And as long as you have a, a good heart and, uh, you know, a real reason for doing it is to help people. You'll, you'll meet the right people along the way and uh, you'll make some mistakes, but you'll get back up and go again. And you always got to get back up on that horse. Don't quit. You got to get back up on the horse. Always. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. My dog's barking its head off. <laughs> so if you hear that in the background, sorry about that. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate all the insight you've provided both on the healthcare and leadership and everything in between. Um, if there's an 
If there's an entrepreneur or a company out there, is there a good way to get in touch with you? Sure. We can do the Terry Hellman one at Gmail. So that's Terry, T-E-R-I-E, Hellman, H-E-L-L-M-A-N, one, numerical one at Gmail, or go to LinkedIn. That might be good too. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate the time. And um, thank you. Hopefully, we can talk again soon. Okay. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. 